Lead to Win is brought to you by Leaderbox, a monthly reading experience curated by leaders for leaders. Learn more at leaderbox.com. Do you remember the first time you received an email? Remember when your heart fluttered when you heard, You've got mail. What was it like? How did it make you feel? At first, it was a novelty, almost a miracle. Suddenly, we could get answers in seconds rather than days. Mail was now called snail mail. No more phone tag. Use of the internet grew by over 700% in just four years during the late 1990s. And business leaders were giddy with the possibility of instant global communication. But it wasn't long before the dark side asserted itself. Spam. Email chains. Reply all. Pointless messages. Loads of people wanting you to make decisions. The average worker now spends two and a half hours every day handling email. Most leaders work very hard to avoid hearing those three little words. You've got mail. first time you were invited to a meeting. Maybe you were a new manager and you got included in the senior staff meeting, or you were asked to join a panel or a standing committee. It felt so good to be invited to the grown-ups table. At last, you thought, now I'm really part of things. Taking notes, entering the discussion, making decisions, it was exciting, even fun. But after a while, meetings wear thin too. If anything strikes terror in the heart of a busy manager, it's hearing the boss say, All right, everybody in the conference room now. Let's go. Today, the average executive spends 23 hours a week in meetings. That's up from 10 hours in the 1960s. In a survey by Harvard Business Review, 65% of senior managers said meetings keep them from completing their work. It happens fast. One minute you're basking in the glow of the latest technology or a new responsibility. The next minute you're desperately trying to get free from it. Even the best things wear thin with overuse. It's scary how quickly a joy becomes a burden. One reason for that, of course, is that we fail to moderate nearly everything in our lives, including business practices. If a little is good, we figure more is better. That's one of the reasons leaders sometimes begin to dread, or even abdicate, one of their primary responsibilities, making decisions. When you think about it, we all make thousands of decisions every day. We decide what to wear, what to eat. We make dozens of decisions just driving to work what route to take, what lane to be in, what podcast to listen to, whether or not we can make the light. For leaders, that's just the beginning. Once we arrive at the office, we face dozens, maybe hundreds of choices every single day. Once it seemed exciting to have the ability to set policies and approve purchases and hire employees, but what began as a joy can quickly become a burden. Many leaders are so overwhelmed by the sheer number of decisions they make each day that they lose interest and sometimes confidence for making important choices. What about you? Do you suffer from decision fatigue? Well, let's find out. Your team has been waiting for an important decision. They've asked you about it several times. It's almost five o'clock and you hear, You've got mail. How do you feel now? Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence. And in this episode, we're talking about decision-making. 
We'll show you how you can make faster, better decisions by making fewer of them. Good leaders thrive on making high leverage decisions, but facing too many daily choices can be overwhelming. Eventually, we're tempted to overthink every choice or abdicate choosing altogether. Today, we'll show you four simple strategies to streamline your decision making. When we're done, you'll say goodbye to mental exhaustion and you'll gain the confidence and clarity to make fewer, faster, better decisions. Before we dive into today's show, let me ask a small favor. If you're listening to this program from our website or a link from a friend, go ahead and subscribe to Lead to Win. You can do that at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It's totally free. If you need a little help, go to lead to win slash subscribe. You get a new episode every week packed with actionable leadership advice. Thanks so much. So this is part two of a two-part episode on decision-making. Last week in episode 37, we talked about decision-making pitfalls, which is, if you missed that, it's a really powerful episode, lots of practical advice there. But today we're talking about decision fatigue, and that's a real threat to leaders. It is. And it's, it's kind of counterintuitive because as leaders, I mean, what we're hired for, what our business requires of us is making decisions, and yet we really feel like we need to make fewer of them because it's exhausting to make so many, right? It is. And there's a lot of reasons that um, leaders should focus only on these high-level decisions. Mm -hmm. First of all, when you make too many small choices, like we illustrated in our essay here, Mm -hmm. is that it saps your mental energy. Man, it does. I mean, it's a real thing. The science proves it. Decision fatigue. You don't have the uh, emotional or intellectual horsepower at the end of the day that you have at the beginning of the day. Right. Also, hoarding decisions is another way of micromanaging. Man, it's so true. And that drives people crazy. Nobody wants to be micromanaged. And making trivial choices, like which vendor to use for the water cooler, is a waste of a leader's time. Mm -hmm. Some leaders, though, insist on making all those decisions, but it's a total waste of their time. And eventually, they begin making poor decisions or abdicating decision-making. By the way, one of the reasons why I think a lot of leaders insist on making all these decisions, it's a way of avoiding the bigger decisions that really matter. Totally. When we uh, talked about doing this episode, I was really excited because this is something I personally have struggled a lot with, and I know that our listeners have too as leaders. It's just amazing how much over time this builds up, and it feels like all you do is get asked to make decisions, you know, day in and day out. And by the end, you can feel paralyzed. You feel sapped, you know, of your energy. You don't feel like you even have your bearings to make those decisions anymore because you're so depleted. So I think the answer is really to make fewer decisions, but that's a little more complicated than it seems. Well, and I think you're, you're going to, by doing that, saving your intellectual power and your emotional resources for those big decisions and not depleting them on a, you know, a thousand little decisions. It's kind of like the idea of, uh, dying by a thousand cuts. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of what decision uh, fatigue is like. Totally. And interestingly, there's actually something of a conspiracy to take advantage of this in us. In fact, retailers put candy at the cash register and not by the front door for a reason. All the little choices that you make when you're shopping just sucks your brain power. So by the time you arrive, you know, to check out, you're just ready for the impulse buy. It's I mean, also why they put Target. Can I just say Target? <laughs> over and over again. It's amazing. There goes that sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to still go and do it. I mean, that's the truth. <laughs> Today, we're going to show you how to eliminate the decisions that you don't need to be making so that you have more brain power for the ones you do. So dad, what's your first strategy here? The first strategy is to never make the same decision twice. So 
Lots of decisions that we make are recurring choices, yep. like which vendors to use or schedules to follow or policies to implement. But once you make a decision, automate it or document it mm-hmm. and leave it alone. Right. So, for example, automating your day by using rituals. We talk about this as a form of self-automation when we talk to our, our coaching clients. But create written policies, workflows, best practices so that we can avoid being asked the same things over and over again. Yes. So this is something that personally um, has been a really critical secret to scaling in my leadership. Mm. I think it's true for most of our clients as well who are business owners. One of the things that happens is when your business is small, you're able to make one-off decisions about things like uh, you know, vacation time or approvals or parental leave or uh, you know compensation decisions. Those things are easy to make as a single decision because there there aren't so many complexities around it yep. and so much scale. There's no cascading effect exactly. for other people either. But as you scale, now you have issues of things like precedent, you right. know, or equity, Fairness. things like that that you have to account for and you just can't make those kind of decisions one by one. And that's where having these documented policies or processes or things like that can save you so it much totally um, of the brain power that you're spending. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're kind of at that point of scaling in your own business, this can be critical to getting out from under the burden. It can. I, I was thinking of a few examples as we were thinking through this episode uh, in my own life. But for example, I made a decision a couple of years ago that I'm not going to do one-on-one consulting anymore. Right. And it's just never worth my time. Plus, people get so much more in a group context, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why we have our uh, group coaching programs. Mm-hmm. But um, another one is I only speak at three to four outside events per year. Why? Because I hate to travel. Let's start with that. And it's never worth my time. Even when people pay me $25,000 a speech, Mm -hmm. it's just not worth my time when I consider what I'm trading. You know, the time away from the office, the think tank time that I could apply to the business or the product I could be creating that we could sell again and again and again. So what that means for you is that when the requests come in, it's not even a decision because the decision has already been made. That's right. So Jim, your executive assistant, can decline speaking requests, for example, because he knows you're already at your threshold. That's right. You know, you've, exactly already, you've, right. Already you've already made that decision. Yeah. Now, there may be some something that would... Um, make him want to reconsider that and that's fine but he's still he's still making far fewer decisions and I'm making vastly fewer decisions because in the past when I was speaking full time for a living you know every one of those speaking requests would come to me and I would have to evaluate it and decide whether to do it or not another one is that I always fly, fly first class and that may sound privileged and it is but my energy is one of our company's most important assets right mm-hmm. and it's penny wise and pound foolish for me to save a few hundred dollars and arrive at my destination tired and stressed out. Mm -hmm. And so that's just a decision we've made. Nobody asks me about it anymore. That's just how I travel. Before we continue, let me ask you a question. Is your productivity suffering under the weight of everything you have to get done? Are you overwhelmed with your work? If so, I'm excited to announce a brand new opportunity to help you stop the overwhelm. It's called the five-day productivity challenge. This free challenge will help you get your most important work done and return to a healthy productivity in just five days. Here's how it'll work. For five days, I'll walk you through how to completely reinvent how much you get done in a day. Each day will contain a simple step for you to implement for your productivity. If you're able to keep up with these steps for each of the five days, then you'll experience less overwhelm and more margin and productivity from there on. And did I mention, there will be prizes for those who participate. 
If you want to reinvent your productivity in just five days, then I invite you to join us. There's no cost for joining. All you have to do is make a simple commitment at freetofocus.com slash challenge. So sign up today and we'll help you accomplish your biggest priorities with less overwhelm inside the challenge. So strategy number one for making fewer, better decisions is to never make the same decision twice. What's number two? Strategy number two is to let others choose for you. I really like this one, by the way. I like this one too. But as leaders, we make a lot of decisions, but we really only should be making the high-level decisions. Most decisions can be delegated. Okay, I'm going to just interrupt you with a question. How do you know what the high-leverage decisions are? I mean, this may be intuitively obvious to some people, but maybe not to all of us. I mean, we've all struggled with it. So how do you know? Well, first of all, it's art, not science. But I think we've got to look at the ones that have the biggest impact in terms of what we're being held responsible for. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's related to vision. Those are high leverage decisions. Where the company's going, where the future is, what products we're going to publish or uh, create, you know, even the big marketing strategies, you know, financial strategy, all of that kind of stuff is the higher level stuff. Well, I think the other test is, can somebody else do it for you? Totally. Right? Yeah. And again, I've quoted Dawson Trotman ad nauseum, but he's the one that said, never do anything that others can or will do when there's so much of importance to be done that others cannot or will not do. Mm, That's good. And so here's an example. I gave you complete freedom with the design and decorating of our new office. And I didn't see a thing (laughs) until I walked into the office the day before we opened it uh, to our team members. Yep. So I trusted you with every decision, and there were a bazillion of decisions. Now, for you, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong here, but for you, you kind of enjoyed it. Maybe tell the last part of it, but you enjoyed it because you're very artsy, you're very creative. This is in your wheelhouse. You know, you could be, you could totally be an interior designer, but not me. And I really didn't care. And I walked in and you way exceeded my expectations, but I got probably thousands of decisions off my plate. That's right. By giving that to you. It's a good example. So another example, we gave Susie responsible for the logistics on our coaching workshops. Susie's our director of uh, operations, by the way. Right. And so um, when I walked into, it was the second workshop because we kind of did a beta version, then we gave it all over to her. I walked into that second workshop. I was blown away. Yeah. I was blown away by how she implemented the branding on everything from the slides to uh, pens on the table, notebooks, Mm -hmm. everything. I mean, it all fit together beautifully. Again, she made about a gazillion decisions that one of us could have made, but we trusted her so we didn't have to make all those decisions. And we saved our emotional and intellectual bandwidth for the really big high leverage thing. And the truth is, she's way better at it than either of us would be. I know. I think it's important to say, by the way, that we're not talking about less important decisions that we're delegating. It's not like there's kind of a range of qualitative you know, decisions and some are on the low end and some are on the high end. Because I think if we, if we talk about it that way, it kind of demeans the work of others. It's really about thinking of yourself as being a steward of your own contribution to your business mm-hmm. and how can you best invest 
the time and energy you have to drive the business forward. And so there are certain kinds of decisions that only you can make that you're the best person to make. And that's what you need to spend your time doing. And that's true for everyone in your organization. And if you're able to kind of activate people to do that in whatever their sphere of influence is, that's how you get the best result across your whole business. Right. Well, and to go back to that previous example where I talked about delegating uh, the decoration and the design of the office. Right. Those are very important decisions. Right. They drive but the I'm culture th- forward. They do. They create a space to collaborate, all those kinds First of things. First impression on clients right. and everything. But it's not a decision. It's not the best and highest use of me. Exactly. And oh, by the way, there's more on delegation in episode 18, productivity investments that pay for themselves. So the first strategy for making high leverage decisions is to never make the same choice twice. The second is to let others choose for you. So dad, what's the third? So strategy number three is to use a defined process for making tough decisions. So in other words, you've kind of got a process that ensures that you consider all the variables, that you consider the past, that you consider the future, that you make the best decision. Mm -hmm. So for example, we have this thing called a recommendation briefing form. In fact, I came up with this years ago, but you use it all the time. So why don't you just talk about it? Yeah. So this is something that I have trained my team to use um, when they need a decision for me. So this is really kind of letting them do the heavy lifting on the things that they're advocating for. So the setup is that, um, you know, if you look at like a kind of a one sheet piece of paper, there's a summary of the recommendation that they have. So they're telling me what they think I should do. So I'm not even necessarily having to consider two options or more. They're supposedly the expert on what they're recommending. You know, that's what I'm assuming. And they're going to bring the recommendation to me. Then they're going to provide a couple paragraphs of background. Then they're going to tell me, you know, what their rationale is. Why are we making this recommendation or why are they making the recommendation? When do they want the decision made by, or when do they need, you know, the, the funds or the resources they're asking for? Then I added another section, which I don't even think I've told you about, but it's particularly relevant for me. And that is, what is the financial impact? So I have questions like this. What's the anticipated cost or investment? If I say yes to your recommendation, what is the ROI for this investment? Three, if there is no ROI, just an increased cost, please indicate how this happens. So these are all the questions that I would ask if I were meeting with them, but I don't have to have a meeting because they're going to put it all in here. Number four, what did we originally have in the budget and what were the assumptions there? And then finally, what's the impact on our profitability, positively or negatively? And I want actual numbers from our CFO. Like I, I don't want to have to go ask him because that's what I was doing before. Well, let me go talk to Justin right. about it. Then all the work's about, on you. How about you go talk to Justin since this is what you're recommending to me and bring it back to me. And now all I have to do is review this you know, during a specific yep. block I have on my calendar. And it's easy for me to say yes or no, because that's all I'm saying. And you've got all the information you need to make the decision. Right. So do you have an example of this where it worked? Yeah. So this often comes up for me with hiring. So one of the decisions that I hate making, and I probably couldn't like underline that enough, is when I get asked about hiring a new employee. And I don't mm-hmm. hate it because I'm against hiring people because, you know, sure. I love our team. But it's a difficult decision to make it with is. a lot of financial implications and a lot of responsibility and and so forth. Um, and so what happened for me is when I started using this instead of this being a long drug out process that could take weeks or, you know, even months, depending on what kind of position it was to make that decision. Now I have all the the information I need to make a good decision quickly, whether it's a yes or a no. And I don't have to get down in the weeds that I'm really not expert at, you know, asking mm-hmm. questions that um, the leaders who are reporting to me are really better at answering. I can just do the one thing that only I can do, which is decide whether this decision is in the best interest of the company or not. That's my decision. So this really simplified like the that. process for me. That's excellent. Mm-hmm. 
You know, another place where we use a similar process is when we're considering launching a new product or we're considering uh, a new live event. You know, we've got a budget template. We want to work through the financial implications. So we spend it on paper, mm-hmm. as Dave Ramsey would say, right. before we spend it in reality. Exactly. And that keeps us out of trouble. Right. So in other words... And the process makes a decision for you in that case. It does. Yep. So again, you're trying to reduce something that's very complex to a process mm-hmm. so that you don't have to re-engineer that process every single time. It's a great time saver, but more importantly, it improves the quality of the decisions that you make. And oh yeah, there's a great article in Michael Hyatt Magazine this week that includes some practical examples of this. And the article is by Andrea Williams. So today we've learned that leaders can make better decisions by making fewer of them. To excel at making high leverage decisions, never make the same decision twice. Let others decide for you whenever you can and use a defined process for making decisions. As we come in for a landing, I just want to remind you that you can make high leverage decisions with confidence. When you're focusing your best brain power on your most important choices, you can decide with confidence. And I know you'll choose well. Dad, any final thoughts? Yeah, I was thinking, you know, the one thing we didn't talk about in this episode, but we've talked about in many other episodes, is the importance of being in a good place when you're making these decisions so that you're rejuvenated. Right. And particularly, you've got to get good rest. We know for a fact when people are tired, they're not getting adequate sleep, they make poor decisions. Right. So there's a direct correlation between those two things. Also, when you're stressed. I don't make good decisions when I'm stressed. Nobody else does either. If you're not getting adequate nutrition, as it turns out, a lot of our thinking is produced from biochemical reactions in our body and all that. So our food, our nutrition, our vitamins, minerals, all that affects that. You don't want to be hangry. You don't want to be hangry. (laughs) So yeah, just to sum up, get a good night's sleep. If you've got a big decision to make, get a good night's sleep before you make that uh, decision. You know, take time away to rejuvenate and make sure you're getting adequate nutrition, adequate exercise, just taking care of yourself. As we close, I want to thank our sponsor, Leaderbox. It provides automated personal development in a box. Check it out at leaderbox.com. If you've enjoyed today's episode, you can get the show notes in a full transcript online at lead2.win. Thanks again for joining us on Lead to Win. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you need help, go to lead2.win slash subscribe. This program is copyrighted by Michael Hyatt & Company, all rights reserved. Our producer is Nick Jaworski. Our writers are Joel Miller and Lawrence Wilson. Our production manager is Mike Burns. Our production assistant is Alicia Curry. We invite you to join us next week when we'll show you the very best way to motivate your team. Until then, lead to win.